0: Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here and I am delighted that you have decided to join us today. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are here to rejoice and be glad in it. You're going to hear that in one of our readings today. Pretty awesome stuff. Uh, we're in the midst of a sermon series here at Cokesbury called the, the Jesus Prayer Book in which each week we're looking at one of the psalms that show up in the Gospels. The psalms, in a lot of ways, were kind of like Jesus' favorite playlist. It, it was the, the music he had in his head uh, throughout his earthly ministry. And so the psalms show up in the Gospels because they were the, the way in which Jesus understood himself and his work in the world. Um, As we've been going through the series, I've been encouraging you who participate in worship to share with those who are also worshiping online, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, some of the music you've been listening to recently. What's on your playlist? In in my family, over the last week, we've been listening to a lot of the Beatles. I think you'll be able to tell that during the service today. And uh, one of the things about the Beatles, they're just... Always so good, but my four year old son Elijah Wolf, you know he's still young enough that he's he's still just learning about so many things all the time, and we've listened to the Beatles a lot, but so much so that the other day we were driving in the car together, and he said to me, "Hey, Dad, can we listen to some more of that bug music?" I thought. What's bug music? I mean, I rattled my brain through through everything we've listened to together, and to think what do you, and I realized he was talking about the Beatles because a beetle is a bug, and so we've been listening to the Beatles together, and it's just it's just so wonderful to to hear music that I know has meant so much to my parents, so much to me, and also now so much to my to my kid. I love the way that music can can do that. It can span across generations in the same way that the Psalm over the last two the Psalms over the last two millennia have helped to inform what it means to be a faithful people. So share with those who are also worshiping what's been on your playlist. You'll also notice that we have an online bulletin uh, that you can access through one of the links in the video description. It will include our hymn, uh, scripture readings, prayers, all all that kind of important goodness. Um, You can still find out more about what's going on in the life of our church. We're continuing to make Facebook Live videos. We send out email devotionals. We're having online worship. You can find all that through our church Facebook page or Our church website. So, with that, we're going to continue to worship together now. I encourage you to perhaps close your eyes, find a comfortable posture as we center ourselves to hear what God has to say to us about who we are and whose we are.
1: Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will
0: grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you today not knowing who we are. We strut our stuff, we try to impress others with all of our self-confidence, and in in the process we hope to be what we pretend So we pray that you would save us from such pretense, that we might learn who we are through trust in you to make us more than we can imagine. Help us, Lord, to reread our lives as confessions of sin made possible by your love. Bind up our wounds and our joys so that our lives finally make sense only as a prayer to you. And as we continue to pray, O Lord, we now lift up to you individually Silently or aloud, our own joys and concerns this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. As I noted at the beginning of our service, we're in the midst of a sermon series on uh, the Jesus Prayer Book, in which we're looking at a psalm every week that shows up in the Gospels. So today our psalm is Psalm 118, verses 21 through 25, and our gospel text is Luke 29 through 19. So hear now God's holy word. I thank you that you have answered and you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is... Is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord, O Lord, we beseech you. Give us success. Now Luke 29 through19, he began to tell them this parable. A man planted a vineyard, he leased it to tenants, and went to another country for a long time. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants in order that they might give him his share of the produce of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Next, he sent another slave. That one also they beat and insulted and sent away empty-handed. And he still, he sent a third. This one also they wounded and threw out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they discussed it among themselves, and they said, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the the inheritance may be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the crowds heard this, they said, Heaven forbid! But he looked at them and said, What then does this text mean? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the scribes and the chief priests realized that he told this parable against them, they wanted to lay hands on him at that very hour, but they feared the people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 382 from the United Methodist hymnal. 382, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. If you're unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in the All Night Bulletin. But join me now over at the drums as I play and sing with me, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.
1: Have Thine Own Way, Lord, have Thine Own Way. After thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Savior, to. Wash me just now, Lord, oh, wash me just now. As in Thy presence, humbly I bow. Have Thine own way, Lord, have Thine own way. wounded and we Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord, oh, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute. Past hear it till all shall see Christ only, always living in me.
0: The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the lord's doing it is marvelous in our eyes this is the day that the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it would you please pray with me may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight O lord our rock and our redeemer amen listen there was a man who planted a vineyard but it was too big for him to manage it all by himself so he leased it out to some tenants and then he decided to go on a little vacation. And when the appointed time came, the landowner sent someone to the tenants in order to receive his share of the harvest. But the tenants, when they received this messenger, they beat him up, insulted him, and sent him away with nothing. Now, the landowner, not one to easily give in, he sent somebody else. But this one was also wounded and tossed to the dirt. This pattern, it kept repeating itself until the landowner decided he had a great idea he would send his son, his beloved son, the one with whom he was well pleased. But when the son arrived, the tenants decided to murder him where he stood in order that they might receive his inheritance. So hearing all of this, what do you think the landowner would do next? Jesus' parabolic stories are, as Robert Far Capon likes to put it, used not to explain things to our satisfaction, but to call attention to the unsatisfactoriness of all of our previous explanations and understandings. Now, this story, this parable of the so-called wicked tenants is, as we like to call in the church, a parable of judgment. However, the parables of judgment don't often function the way we think they're supposed to work. Now, judgment, after all, is supposed to come down at all the evildoers and all the sinners and all the riffraff with swift condemnation. And yet, for Jesus, he presents divine judgment in all sorts of his stories against the backdrop of grace. That is, the characters are always included before they are excluded. They are accepted before they are ever judged. So, for Jesus, grace and mercy, rather than punishment and retribution, are the starting points in these stories. And contrary to how The church so often functions, Jesus isn't really trying to convince anyone of anything. He simply stands delivering story after story, giving us glimpses behind the curtain of the cosmos, and dares us to do nothing more than take him at his word. Nothing more than believe him. But of course, it all sounds too good to be true. No matter how much we talk about God's mercy, no no matter how many times we talk about God as love, no matter how many times we sing amazing grace, we don't really like it. Because taken seriously, God's grace is far too available. You know, it throws parties for prodigal sons. It drags in undeserving people right off the street. It makes space for the last least lost, little and dead. And it doesn't have much of anything to do for those who consider themselves good enough. Therefore, the, the hearers of Jesus' parables of judgment, including us, they are those who were in need of help. Because we too often forget that God exists to show mercy to sinners. We've deluded ourselves into thinking that, by and large, we're all perfectly fine. Thank you very much. No need for forgiveness if you haven't made any mistakes. No need for absolution when you haven't sinned. The only problem with living like that, particularly as Christians, is that. We confess that all of us, each and every one of us, the tall and the small, we are all sinners in need of grace. We all do things we know we shouldn't. We all avoid doing things we know we should do. But we, we like the church, part of God's incarnate kingdom here off, to be a little more orderly. You know, we can take it from here, God. Thanks for doing what you did. And now we don't need you mucking up our good thing. We assure people that God loves them, but we make it clear they all need to fit in. They're going to need to fit into a certain mold before they can fit in with the rest of us. We want the kingdom to look more like the one we would have it be rather than the inbreaking of God's kingdom in which the first will be last and the last will be first. And it's because we've lived that way that we stand accused. But it's precisely here that the gospel really comes into its own, because as the accused, we haven't a chance in hell of making an argument for ourselves. But then, wonder of wonders, Jesus as the judge and jury stands not only to defend us, but also to take our sentence upon himself, setting us free for no good reason except the gospel. So listen, Jesus' authority has been called into question yet again, and he responds to this question of his authority with a story. A man planted a vineyard. Vineyards, notably, are a favorite setting of Jesus's, and they echo throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Isaiah to Jesus' favorite playlist of all the Psalms. The man plants the vineyard and he leases it out to tenants. But when he sends a messenger to collect his portion of the harvest, The tenants beat him up and sent him away. Jesus, throughout his ministry, he tells a whole lot of strange tales, and this one is no different because of all of its bizarreness. I mean, consider this. There's no good reason, eventually, for the landowner to expect that the wicked tenants will do anything but murder his son, just like they've done horrible things to everybody else he sent. Equally crazy are the tenants thinking that by murdering the heir of the vineyard owner, they themselves will inherit it. The only thing they're going to inherit is the unquenchable wrath of the landowner who is now going to bring down the hammer of righteousness. Because in the end, the problem with the tenants, in addition to their violent and murderous rampage, is that they simply can't and don't trust the landowner. The landowner who, by the way, gave them the land that they never would have had were it not for his generosity. You see, the tenants trust only in themselves. And look where it gets them. And So having flipped things on their parabolical head, Jesus dangles a question and an answer for the authorities who are calling into question his authority. What will the landowner do now? He will come and destroy the tenants and give their land to other people. Heaven forbid, is their reply. And then Jesus ties all of it up with, among things, all things, a reference to the Psalms. What do you think it means that the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? He asks. Don't you see? Jesus seems to say all of this is exactly what God has promised from the foundation of the world. The Messiah is not like you've imagined. The Messiah is not like the tenants who take matters into their own hands and use violence as the means by which they accomplish their goals. The Messiah is going to be rejected, murdered, abandoned. The stone... The stone will be rejected by the builders, and it will still become the chief cornerstone of God's God's cosmic victory. You see, it's precisely in rejection, in unacceptability, that the Messiah brings salvation. The world, in the end, it isn't saved through works or goodness or any other of our machinations. The world, instead, is saved through the rejection of Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. All that sounds good, but in our heart of hearts, we mutter along with the authorities from so long ago, heaven forbid, because we don't really want the landowner's son to come up to us and say that all has been forgiven. We think of ourselves as generally good people who do good things, for what then do we need forgiveness we don't really like to consider the ramifications of the good news and, and what it means for all of us because if the good news really is for everyone, then God's inviting to his party a whole lot of people we wouldn't be caught dead with. We don't really want this to be true because we've been spoon-fed a version of faith in which we think that being well-behaved or pious or holy, all of those are more important than trusting God to do what God said God would do. If we really wanted it to be like this, the world would look very, very different. But in the end, we want to be the ones in control. We, like the foolish tenants in the story, we want to try to stop the paradoxical power of grace that alone can save us, and instead, we want to save us. We take refuge in a whole lot of nonsense that only ensures that we will lose in the end. If you think about how often we flock to the lights of Facebook and Twitter, assuming that all of our self-righteousness, all of our comments about other people and what they're saying and what they're doing, that if we just keep doing enough of that, it will fix all the world's problems. I mean, Think about how so many of us just assume that if we elect the right politicians, everything will be as it should be. Think about how often we take matters into our own hands whenever possible, believing that we know what's best not only for ourselves, but also for everybody else. It's here, right here, that the good news becomes good. Because no matter how hard we try, we can't stop the paradoxical power of grace that is Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus died for the sins of those who killed him, even for the sin of believing in ourselves more than the one who can actually save us. For as bizarre as the parables are, perhaps the most confounding part of Jesus' stories is that having told all of them, he then goes and acts out what he's been talking about since the beginning. Like the psalm pointing ahead to the rejection of the stone becoming the chief cornerstone, it's in Jesus' passion, his rejection, his death, his resurrection, that he makes manifest the mystery of the kingdom in which no one has to do anything to be saved except trust that someone has already done it all for us. The stone That the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, the Lord, Jesus the Christ, Messiah, God in the flesh. We have rejected and nailed him to the cross, and he is still the chief cornerstone of all things. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you gather the whole of the cosmos into your radiant presence, and you continue to reveal your Son as our Savior. Bring healing to all wounds, make whole all that is broken, speak truth to all illusion, and shed light in every darkness that all creation will see your glory and know your Christ. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word. And now we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves. We think of ways in which we can make ourselves available to others, how we can pray for others, how we can be for others. But we also respond with our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may also give by writing a check and sending it through the mail to the church. Or if you live locally, you can drive by. We have a drop slot by our main office doors and you can bring your offering by. But give, give with glad and generous hearts that this church might continue to be a place that proclaims the truth of what God has done, that it is marvelous, that our salvation comes not from our earning or deserving, but from God who loves, whose chief attribute is, is love another way that we like to respond to what god has said and what god has done is by affirming our faith using the apostles creed so i now encourage you to join me as we affirm our faith together i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified dead and buried The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. Now I would like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that this is the day that the Lord has made. It is marvelous because it is something that God has done for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, for more of the Jesus Prayer Book. As we listen to Jesus' favorite playlist, we can jam with him and we can rejoice knowing that this is God's work for us. So go in peace, be well, amen, amen, and amen.